The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. John, the fifth chapter. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased, to the Father judges no one. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Judgment has always caused my heart to be terrified. My judgments have come at the end of a term when I had to sit for a Greek exam or when I had to sit for a Hebrew exam or other examinations, my oral exam to graduate from a collegiate-level program in theology. As I faced these judgment times, I was terrified. By God's grace, I was carried through. I knew what hung in the balance was whether or not I could be hired as a pastor, for I needed to have that graduate degree. That's what they demanded. That was the ticket that had to be punched, a master's of divinity. It was the grace of God that carried me through those judgment times. None of us like judgments. And judgments have happened many, many times in the history of the world. The judgment of Adam and Eve after they fell in the garden and they were banished from their home and they were banished from the tree of life to die. The judgment that God passed upon the antediluvian world as he sent Noah with the flood, and everyone died. There were other judgments in Scripture. You recall the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and they died. There have been other judgments. There was a great judgment held 
on the day Jesus was crucified. Jesus was judged. And he died, not for his own sin, but as an atoning sacrifice for your sin and my sin. There is something about the human heart, however, that wants to push away the concept of judgment. We're much more comfortable with the idea of unconditional love, and that is a myth, one that needs desperately to be dispelled from the apostate American church. The American church will face judgment, and many will die. We also come to the final great judgment, referred to as the great white throne judgment. This is a terrifying judgment. I want to read for you Revelation, the 20th chapter. I want you to just listen. If you have a Bible, follow along. I'm going to read from the NIV, the old NIV. But you could read it from the King James Version or a Revised Standard or American Standard. It will say basically the same thing. But let's take it for what it says. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him for one thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended, and after that he must set must be set free for a time. Now, there are some who believe that there will be no one on the earth during those thousand years. But if we read the word for simply what it says, it says there will be nations on the earth, and they will be under the rule of Jesus himself. Verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, and they had not received his mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for one thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, 
to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God, of God's people, and the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled away from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead, that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire, second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So this great white throne judgment happens at the very end of time on the earth. The earth is then utterly destroyed, and a new earth is created. 
Now, when I consider this great white throne judgment, it terrifies my heart. Because this is the end. We are judged. Every man, this is the final judgment. If your name is not found in that book of life, you are cast into a lake of fire. And there is identified here by Jesus the specific sins that he wants us to know will cause us to be cast into the lake. It will be uncovered at the great white throne judgment. The cowardly, those who were afraid to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who were not true, who were liars, who were pretenders, who always continued to walk in their sin, They never had the courage to walk away and become an overcomer. And only overcomers will be in the New Jerusalem. All the ones who pretended, who never overcame by the blood of Jesus, not by hard work, it's by faith in Jesus and in his blood. And he washes and cleanses and regenerates and makes us into new creatures. Those who were too cowardly to submit to that sanctifying of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus will be cast into that lake of fire. The unbelieving, the vile, the vile filth of America is rising at such a rate. If you watch any of the videos of the news, if you watch what's happening in the world, it is more vile than anything that could have happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. Murders, killers of babies, killers of men and women and children, the sexually immoral who wear their sexuality as a weapon even walking into the church dressed like little prostitutes, or the men walking in looking like pimps. Those who practice the magic arts who go to the tarot cards, those who read every day their astrological report, they will not be in heaven. The idolaters, those who put their work ahead of Jesus, those who call Jesus a hard man, they will be found out at the great white throne judgment. They will be uncovered. Their sin will be plain. And then all liars. There's no such thing as a white lie. You're either honest or you're dishonest. You either have integrity or you do not have integrity. You either are given over to the cross of Jesus Christ and resurrected in the newness of life or you will be in the second death. Now, when I consider this very stern white throne judgment, my heart is frightened. My heart is frightened for you. It's frightened for me. 
I know without question that at the end of time, there will be 1,000 years where Jesus will rule the earth with an iron rod. And then comes the great judgment. The devil will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Already the beast, that is the whole political elite, the corrupt, the evidence is fast mounting that this entire COVID pandemic was created as a as an attack against the peoples of the world as a eugenics program the false prophet who created the mark of the beast he too was thrown into the lake of fire there they will be tormented day and night for eternity Now, I want you to be very clear. God is not a pushover. He's not a hard man. Jesus is not a pushover. He was not a pushover with Adam and Eve when he banished them from the garden to die. He was not a pushover when the flood came and swept the entire known world away except Noah and his family. He was not a pushover at Sodom and Gomorrah. He will not be a pushover at the final judgment. If you believe that you can walk in your wicked ways and claim Jesus as your Messiah, you are mistaken. Now, when I look carefully at this 20th chapter of Revelation, we might be tempted to try to fit this in to a whole scheme, understanding the prophecies of Daniel and other Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, understanding the prophecies of Revelation. Maybe I could be frank with you. The great problem I have had all of my life as a Christian, and I'm not quite sure how to even express this to you, but maybe a a brief story that I've shared before would be helpful to understand. My father was a humble man, one of the humblest men I've ever known. He was a godly man. He was a man of scripture and prayer and faith. He was not a successful man in the eyes of the world. He was not a successful man financially. But he loved the Lord Jesus. He was the head elder of our local church of about 100 people. One day, Dad was in his bib overhauls, as he often was when he was not at work, and he had his hoe. And he was in our large garden where he was hoeing weeds. I was just 
a boy. A car drove in. I went out. The dogs were barking. I recognized it as the pastor of our congregation. He came striding out of his car, dressed immaculately, tie just right, brilliant white shirt, polished shoes, gorgeous suit. He said, Raymond, where's your father? With his little waxed mustache. I said, he's in the garden. Well, I need to see him. Well, come on, I'll show you where it is. We walked up the drive and out into the garden, and there Dad saw us coming, and he stood leaning against his hoe. And the pastor said, Matt, we have a problem with the church. We need to talk about it briefly. All right. So the pastor began to describe the problem, and frankly, I don't even remember what the problem was. I think it was something about a nominating committee where there was a a scramble and a fight over who was going to have what position in the church. All I remember is that after Dad patiently listened to the pastor as he excitedly told him about all the trouble the church was facing, My father characteristically said, well, let's talk to Jesus about it. And promptly, without waiting for the pastor or even seeing the pastor's response, fell to his knees in the dirt of the garden. And there he began to pray. An earnest prayer, crying out to the Lord to settle the problems in the church to give the pastor understanding and wisdom. And above all, to bless, to bless the church. I didn't listen very well to what dad was praying. My eyes were on the preacher. His face went ashen. He looked at the ground. He knew he should kneel in the dirt. But after all, he was dressed in a beautiful suit. He could not afford to get his suit dirty. He did not kneel. And when Dad finished his prayer, the pastor prayed a very pious prayer. And then Dad said, Come, let's walk down to the to the car. And he picked up some fresh garden produce and gave it to the pastor. And as the pastor drove away, I said, Daddy, why is pastor so proud? Why is pastor so proud? All dad would say is we need to pray for pastor. I've had to face that problem in the lives of many people, and particularly I've had to face that in my own life. I can have all of the theological answers. I can, and I've listened to countless numbers of preachers as they go through the books of Daniel and Revelation and and Isaiah and other prophecies, and they, they lay out their scheme for 
for everything that they think is going to happen at the end of time. But I have watched with great sorrow in my heart as I see the the flesh, the arrogance, the pride that's involved in the study of these prophetic matters. It's been that that has caused me to be very cautious of even preaching on the book of Revelation. I read it constantly. I have very strong ideas about what's going to happen based on what the Holy Spirit has prompted me with and and taught me out of the word. I don't talk about it very much because I've been frightened by the pride of the American pastors who call themselves apostles or prophets or or pastors with arrogance, talking with absolute assurance. They know what's going to happen. Well, I've lived long enough that I know that many of those I listened to as a child have now been proven wrong. Hitler was not the Antichrist. He was an Antichrist, but he was not the Antichrist. Nixon was not the Antichrist. John F. Kennedy was not the Antichrist. I heard all of these as a child and as a young person. Part of the struggle that I'm having is to understand and come to terms with the final end of the human heart as it faces the great white throne judgment. I don't want you to face that judgment. I want you to face Jesus Christ hidden in his blood, washed, cleansed, holy, completely sanctified and given a pure and clean heart and a pure mind. Having the old man removed from your heart and life, Romans, the sixth chapter, having died with Christ, It's been useful for me to also go back and review some things that Jesus has said about Jesus has said about his coming and the judgment, the great white throne judgment. Now, he did it in parable form, but we need to pay attention to it. What I want you to catch today is that salvation does not come to us by having all of the intricate details worked out that we affirm are true and right and we know what's going to happen. We know there's going to be a secret rapture before the judgment, before the tribulation. We know, we know, we know, we don't know. Our understanding is faulty. Our understanding is too often filled with pride and arrogance. 
there's something much more fundamental that we have to look at. Let me just read this parable to you. After Matthew 25, we have three parables. Sometimes in Scripture, Jesus will give us a series of parables, each helping to explain what he's just spoken about. These three parables help us understand Matthew 24. First is the parable of the ten virgins. Then is the parable of the man who goes on a journey and gives his wealth to his servants to invest. And then we come to the third. And frankly, it's a shocking parable. I'll read for you Matthew 25. I'll begin with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Remember in Matthew 24, Jesus said, every eye is going to see him. Even those who pierced him are going to see him. This will not be a secret come. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Do you understand? A time, a place in history is rushing upon us when Jesus himself, with the help of his angels, will separate all of humanity into two camps. He will separate one camp, the righteous. The other camp, those who walk in sin. I will put the sheep the right hand, and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The kingdom of God is not a second thought. It's been planned from eternity. Jesus planned to die for Adam and Eve and the human race before they fell in sin. He knew they would fall. But he was committed to giving us free choice. For he wanted love that was freely given. He didn't want forced love. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, 
I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, how do we weigh this in the final judgment, the great white throne? They go together. Except Revelation seems to indicate that this separation is not all done at one time, but the righteous are separated earlier. But you see what I mean? We can come up with all of our ideas, but that's just what they are because none of us have seen it yet. We've not yet seen what Jesus will do. I see America, I see the world rushing toward its doom. I see an evil beast power taking its place on the throne of this earth. I see tyranny and Marxism. I see murder and mayhem, starvation, financial systems utterly destroyed and a new system brought in that will require the mark of the beast. How will all of this take place? Well, we can think we know, but there's one thing much more important than thinking that you know. And the important thing that the Lord Jesus is saying just before his crucifixion, this is just prior to his crucifixion. He is saying to us what is more important than anything you may think you understand is that you use your time and your energy to help fellow Christians, people of the way. Now, you may not think so, but I'm spending my time, my energy, all of the money that I have to help God's people because I know this great judgment is coming and the Lord is going to want to know Did you feed the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger? Did you invite me in? Did you clothe me? I was sick. Did you look after me? I was in prison. You came to visit me. I think also in many places in scripture it will say, Did you build the kingdom of God on the earth in compassion? and mercy, and kindness. The righteous, let's be be clear about this word. It means the innocent, those who are not walking in any known rebellion or sin against the Most High, who have been regenerate, who have been made new, who have a character that looks like the character of Jesus Christ who spent their time reading the scriptures, praying, repenting, allowing the Spirit to utterly destroy the works of the devil in their life. The righteous. Lord, when did we see you? When you did it for the least of these, my brethren. You did it for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, 
into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I'm shy of saying this to you, but I need to. In the first parable, we have ten virgins. Half of the church is shut out of the kingdom of God. Then we have the talents. And again, there is the man who is a servant of the master. In other words, he's a Christian. And because of his accusations against God, because of his pride and his anger, because of his continuing to walk in sin, because he was lazy, that is, he did not do the works of God, he used his time and energy to pursue his own agenda and not the agenda of God. And the result was, this worthless servant is cast outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, he's cast into hell. Now I want to suggest to you that this third parable is really no different. This third parable is also about those who call themselves Christians. But the Christians are divided at the judgment of God between the righteous and the sinners. And in this parable that is based on what they do for their brothers and sisters, it's not based on their intellectual understanding or knowledge. It's not based on some supposed grace blanket covering that justifies them in spite of their wickedness. No, everywhere in the scriptures. Now, some of you are not going to be pleased, but I have to say it because it is the truth. The final judgment is going to be based on what you have done. It's not going to be based on some false faith standard. Now, what you have done, you will do by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit moves in your life and you follow him and you obey him, this is the final judgment. Jesus says it over and over and again in the letters to the seven churches. He speaks about 
He speaks about overcoming. Now, one family that I knew, if they stopped beside the road to help a traveler who was stopped for motor trouble or out of gas or whatever, they would first ask a question. Are you a Christian? Oh, yes. Well, can you tell me what John 3.16 says? Well, no, I can't. Well, you're not a Christian. We can't help you. And they get in their car and drive away. And later, in private, they would refer to those people as garbage, not deserving of their help. If they stop to help somebody and they see that that person is smoking, they would say, sorry, you're not a Christian. We can't help you. And they go get back in their car and drive away and leave that person stranded and say to themselves, that person was garbage. This is a a desperate misunderstanding. Let me read for you Galatians, the sixth chapter. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you think you're something because you have a great intellectual knowledge of end-time events, you deceive yourself. Each one should test his own actions, not intellectual understandings, but actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anybody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We are called by the Apostle Paul to do good for even the unbelievers, but to give special attention to the believers. And I have to tell you, right now my emotions are very ragged. I'm so eager to see the gospel go forward. I'm having a difficult time because of the vile nature of what I see happening to America and in America. I'm struggling to be faithful to God in just waiting upon him and trusting him. 
but I've been greatly encouraged by verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I am not going to give up. I'm going to stand by faith with my eyes fixed on Jesus. We need a miracle. We need a miracle for this broadcast. It needs to be spread like the leaves of autumn. Many more people need to have an opportunity to hear these words. I can tell you now, this kind of preaching is not common in our day. It was common one day some years ago, but it's not today. Today the preaching is flesh-pleasing. No arrows of conviction. So yes, I have ragged emotions, but I don't listen to my emotions. They don't tell me. They don't inform me of what I'm to do. The Word of God informs me, and then I act on what the Word of God says, no matter how I feel. Do you understand? I don't go by moods. I don't go by impulses. I go by the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me that there is going to be a great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, every person is going to be examined for what they have done. And if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, you are cast into the fire. And the only way your name can be found in the Lamb's book of life is to have confessed him, to have repented of your sins, and to have been made clean by the blood of Jesus, to have been born from above, a new creature in Christ Jesus, set free with a pure mind and a pure heart. Does that describe you today? You still have today as the day of salvation. Don't play with it. We're about to enter a time of gray darkness this winter for America with shortages, with deprivation, with sadness, with sorrow, with death. My brother, my sister, be serious. For the day of God's judgment is coming. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to thank those of you who have in the last several days given on our website, nationalprayerchapel.com. I can't thank you enough for standing with me. This is an extremely trying time for me and for this broadcast. I stand by faith. Thank you for your letters of encouragement. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Our webpage is nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find this broadcast posted this evening and many other broadcasts. Share them with friends. Post the link to them on your, on your channels like Facebook or Instagram. 
spread the word and please if you have not yet subscribed on the YouTube channel please go and subscribe it will help us have the word spread more widely God bless you I'll talk to you soon Great.